this is the So You Talk to Cows podcast, a podcast for anyone who has ever been asked if they talk to cows, corn, or any other commodity. I'm Erica Earlbeck, a lifelong agricultural communicator. On each show, I interview someone who has made it their life's work to communicate to and advocate for our nation's farmers and ranchers. We learn new ways to communicate, classic techniques that always work, and we try to predict that next big thing for our industry. Joining us today on the podcast is Kara Bishop, the (laughs) Director of Communications and Public Affairs for Plains Cotton Growers. Kara, thank you for joining us today. Um, My first question, yeah. Tell it, just tell us, explain what, what is Plains Cotton Growers? Tell us about the, the audience that they serve and, and their purpose. Okay, so we are what's called a certified producer organization. In the state of Texas, there are nine cotton certified producer organizations in the state. So we are a regional CPO. Uh, we're a nonprofit that represent producers in the 42 counties in the Panhandle and Southern High Plains. We go as far up as Dalhart and the Oklahoma border all the way down to Midland. So we represent producers in that area. Um, we promote and protect the interests of the Texas High Plains cotton industry primarily through that role. And so tell me what your job is with the organization. Oh, man. So I am the director of communications uh, and public affairs, and I am a department of one. So there is not much I don't do in that realm. Um, I do all the writing. So we have solicitation letters because we're a dues-based organization. We send out solicitation letters, memos, press releases. All of that is written by me. Um, We have a weekly newsletter. Uh, called Cotton News that we release every Friday. So I write that, um, I put it in InDesign for the print edition, and then I put it on the website for the email edition. Um, And so we email that out and mail it every Friday. And that is industry-related news. It's stories about our producers or any other segment. And um, I keep up with that regularly. I do all the website development. We just went through a big website redesign. Uh, when I came on, I wanted to make it a little more functional on the consumer end. And so we redesigned it and uh, that was a huge process. So glad that's over. But uh, I keep up with the regular updates and I do the social media. We have four platforms. We primarily use Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And so I keep those regularly updated and full of content. Um, I do the graphic design, so I use Canva a lot since I'm one person, and uh, so I design all of our initiative flyers. We do a lot of um, legislative trips to advocate for policy on behalf of our producers, so I design the one-pagers to help our staffers get educated on what position we have taken with policy. Um, and I do, I design a newsletter and advertisements for newspapers and things like that for our upcoming annual meeting, as we already talked about Um I am doing all the ads for that and all of the promotional work for that. And then I do the event planning. So I'm also, I develop the program for all of our events. Um, and then I do, I facilitate all of the catering venues, yada, yada. So that's, that's basically what I do, which this, is, this, fun you never can predict what the day is going to bring. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this just adds legitimacy to what I said in class last week in that, because uh, we we had a lesson on event planning in our intro to ag class. And I said, for whatever reason, the communicator is the event planner. 
I don't know why this happens, but, (laughs) but yeah, we added half a class on event planning because of this. So that's good. Yeah. That that will be very valuable for them. (laughs) Yes. That goes in that promotional arm and you are that promotional arm. It is. So well, tell me about your career and how you got to Plains Cotton Growers. Okay. Uh, I graduated in 2011. Um, Three months before that, uh, Dr. Earlbeck sent an email to all the (laughs) students about some job positions. And there was a job position as a staff writer and production design assistant for National Oil and Lube News, which was a trade publication for the after automotive aftermarket industry. Mm-hmm. A mouthful. Um, basically oil chain shops and anybody who did aftermarket work on vehicles was part of this industry. And so it was a trade publication that went out monthly. And then there were three custom publications uh, that were done for Shell Oil Company and things like that. And so I was the staff writer, um, became the senior staff writer and did a lot of graphic design for that. Um, you learn so much in that first year out of college. You have so many valuable tools that you've been given through the AgCom program. It is amazing. And uh, then I was able to implement all of those tools. That first year was insane. Learned so much. Spent two years there. And then the there was a job opening at the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center for the senior editor of their alumni magazine, which is called Pulse. And so I applied and I became the senior editor for Pulse. For about two and a half years. Um, and then I quit and had some babies and did some other things, did some freelance work and decided I could not stay at home. I was going insane. So I went back to Pulse. They were <laughs> gracious enough to hire me back. I was doing a lot of freelance work for them anyway. And um, so I came back and I eventually became managing editor of that um, alumni magazine, which came out twice a year, um, really big storytelling component. That was probably the biggest thing was, was the storytelling aspect. It was basically um, a gift officer in the alumni relations department. Um, It was the only, we like to call it the only gift officer that visited every alum twice a year. So that that was the, that was the point of that flagship uh, publication. And then a about, I received Tracy Murph's emails. When you graduate, you will too. I saw the job uh, position for Plains Cotton Growers and I thought, well, that seems fun. I had been at tech for six to seven years. I can't ever remember with the, with the quitting, how many total years, but eight total years basically. And so I thought I would, I would love to be able to control all aspects of a communications department. I I like that kind of thing. Um, And I like the, the variability of the day and and things like that. And um, so I decided to apply for that. And I started January 17th, Martin Luther King day. In your job, you do things that are public facing and you do things that are inward facing Uh, for for some people working in the PR marketing field. Sometimes they do only public, sometimes. Sure. Yeah. One or the other, but you get to do everything. Um, So tell me, uh, reaching the public audience, what are some of your bigger success stories so far? What are some of the things that you're most proud of so far? What I did when I came on is I noticed um, in the ag industry specifically, because this is my first time being in the ag industry. Um, I came from, you know, automotive and then uh, healthcare and academia. And then I came to the ag and um, ag from where I stood, tended to focus on the industry and on the inanimate object, cotton, right? We did a lot of 
um, publication and promotion of cotton, which is fantastic. Obviously, we're supposed to do that. Um, but that's not going to reach people if you're not talking about the people behind the commodity. So talking about the actual producers that grow it, the researchers that develop new varieties of it, the warehousers that store it, merchants that broker it, um, things like that. And so I developed a story series called Faces of Cotton. Cool. And I try to um, every month highlight one person in the industry and it doesn't have to be a producer. You know, we represent producers, but we, you know, if one segment of the industry isn't doing well, we're not doing well either. So we try to represent all people in the industry um, in our communications. And so that really started expanding our footprint, especially on social media. Um, I noticed that we had on average eight times more exposure on social media with those types of stories than we did anything else. Um, Primarily because it was reaching people outside of ag. Uh, multiple people were sharing it. Um, and it's really hard to penetrate outside that industry, which Mm -hmm. is what we want to do in production agriculture. Cause we got a lot of people removed from our, from our industry and, and our, you know, processes who don't understand it and have made a lot of assumptions about it. So I liked the idea of building common ground through storytelling. And so a lot of these farmers are just like a lot of other people that aren't farmers. And so building that commonality to kind of show, hey, you may not have the correct perspective on what we're trying to do here. We're not necessarily villains in productive ag. We're just doing things that you may not understand. And so that has done a lot for our footprint as an organization, um, concentrating on the people. So in terms of public facing, I I would say that that's probably my biggest hook right now is getting people to read those stories. Yeah. That's great. You can't just do human and you have to do a Q and a, or you have to do a quote and a picture. You have to do a, if if you do too many of the same, then they get used to it or they don't read it or they don't share it as much. And so it's, it's common, it's continuously making it new and fresh and like they've never seen it before. It's I don't always nail it, but that's, that's the goal. But no, like sticking to a formula isn't always the best thing. It, you know, people just get jaded with that and yeah, it, it gets and the algorithm, tired. especially on social media. You yes. Know, they, they hate yeah. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes a formula works, but mm-hmm. in this instance, sometimes you, you it does, it but when you have, um, when your audience has the attention span that has been severely deteriorated through <laughs> the digital space, yeah. um, you're going to have to keep it a little different, even for your own internal audiences. A lot of times, you know, you got to make it look different for them too. Yeah. So. Well, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your internal audience. What are some things that you do to communicate with your internal audience? I am a big believer in brand identity and audience identity. I think if you do not understand what your brand's identity is and you don't understand what your audience does, then your tools aren't going to work no matter what you do. So my tools are based on who my audience is now, which is a little different than what I used for Texas Tech. Um, A lot of those alum were advanced education, masters, doctor degrees. They were literal physicians. You know, um, they didn't have time. Uh, 200 word stories were going to be about as good as you can get with them. Um, I have agricultural audiences now who like hard copies still, who like Mm -hmm. opening emails. And so our email marketing is probably um, one of the biggest tools I use because these guys still open it. I've got a 57% open rate sometimes. 
uh, on my, on my list. And that is unheard of. People are just shooting for 15, you know? And, um, so I knew when I started looking at those open rates, when I first came on, I was like, holy crap, this is, this is different. So um, I I've really been using the website and the email marketing tool. I, when I first came on they would use a PDF of a word document that they would put in the constant contact, which is the, I mean, you, all of them are great. That's just the one we happen to use. And, um, it wasn't consumable as a, as a consumer of content, it was very difficult to read. And so I started putting everything on the website and then linking those articles out because we didn't even have a click rate before I came on. Mm-hmm. And so I can tell through the open and the click rates that people are loving that content and consuming it continually. So that's my biggest game is email and website uh, postings in turn in terms of internal audiences. Now, social media is my external, which we've already talked about, but um, I do some news oriented stuff on social media, too, because I do have some followers um, primarily Facebook. Facebook's a big deal for us. Um, the average age of the American farmer, I guess, is nearly 60 years old. So Facebook is a big deal. Um, LinkedIn is gaining some traction too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but Facebook is primarily where you're going to engage a lot of your people. That's where our biggest following is. Um, that was not the case at Tech. They were shifting more toward Instagram, TikTok, um, things of that nature. There is no point of opening a TikTok here. Um, I I don't know how many people would be on it that... right. I mean, it would be good for external exposure mm-hmm. if I had the time to devote to it. Sure. Um, but in terms of internal audience, it probably wouldn't be as effective. Yeah. So I've had to change some of the tools I use because the audience is different. Um, the brand identity is weirdly kind of the same, still a friendly, conversational, informational type of approach of sharing content. Um, but because tech is very friendly and open and just love it, right? Yeah. Um, and we were at one time with tech, and I'll, I'll say this because I think this is very interesting. Um, a lot of times we want to write like we're trying to get a Pulitzer, or we want to write like we are a New York Times correspondent, mm-hmm. and that doesn't make a hill of beans if nobody's reading it. Yep. And so if your audience is not professional um, and polished and Yale type people, you're probably not going to get the traction you want if you write that way. When we redesigned the magazine for Pulse at Tech, one of the um, exercises we used was we did the three-word exercise where we polled every school, because there are five schools, or there are six now, in the uh, TTUHSC, and we polled all kinds of staff, all kinds of professors, all kinds of people on what three words came to their mind when they thought of TTUHSC. And it did not give us what we thought it was going to give us because you think <laughs> people are doctors. These people are nurses, practitioners, uh-huh. you know, these are professional people. Um, and one of the biggest words was friendly. Okay. Well, our dialogue was not friendly. It was stiff <laughs> and stilted and we are a university. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. And so that determines the tools you use to me. Um is, is what kind of audience do you have? And does your brand identity match your audience identity? Because if it doesn't, then you might as well not use any tools. Yeah. Cool. That's great. What do people not know or not understand about your job? What, what are some common things? Um, I would heavy hit the writing on this one mm-hmm. because everyone thinks they can write um, for the most part. 
I don't know if you deal with that, but I have dealt with that in several situations where um, everybody thinks they are a writer of some level. And at some point that is true, but writing takes so much strategy when you are doing content that is meant to be consumed. There are things you have to think about when you make a social media post that you do not have to think about when you are writing a story. There are so many different um strategies in place, depending on what you write. If you write a solicitation letter, you better be able to do that differently than you would a human interest profile or a Q&A or anything like that. It's all about hooking the reader and what's going to hook the reader, depending on the platform you're using. And that takes so much more thought than people give credence to. Um, if you want to be effective and you want people to read it. My biggest thing is that I, I don't I don't want to just churn content out just to churn it out. Are people actually reading it? Um, I think that's misunderstood too. I think sometimes we just write stuff just so we can say we wrote it and then it has no traction and nobody even knows that we did it. You know, um, I think that's what's most misunderstood in actually in this profession. Um, I think a lot of people in this profession misunderstand that just how much um, strategy needs to be involved because Sometimes a 200 word story gets so much more exposure than a 1200 word, mm -hmm. 1200 word one will. And it is so much harder to write the 200 word story than it is the 1200 word story. Yes. Hider copy is always harder because uh -huh. you, you only have three coins or I call them nuggets of um, brilliance you can put in there to keep that reader hooked. Yeah. Um, so that to me is probably what's most misunderstood in the profession and outside the profession. People think that um, writing is simple and it's, it's really technical if you want, if you want it to be consumed. Yeah. So in a technology, this, this is a nice segue into my next question. In a technology-driven industry like ours, we're always looking for the next big thing, um, but there are plenty of tried and true techniques that always work. What are those techniques for you? And would you, would you please share them with us? <laughs> um, to me, I, I think we, we no longer value the face-to-face -face, um, interactions. I think it, especially in this industry where people want to see you, you know, in healthcare and academia, especially during COVID, nobody wanted to see you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> we had to, we, Zoom was one of the biggest um, evolutions of the health sciences center that I witnessed while I was there. It was like, oh, you can have six meetings a day now, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but the face-to-face -face interactions, actually talking to other people, you have no idea how many stories will come out of that, how many potential um, content types of things that you could write about the, the face-to-face, -face, especially in my industry in ag in everybody's industry, if they're in ag, they're going to want some face-to-face, -face. um, producers, growers, um, all these people are face-to-face -face oriented. And so that to me is probably one of the most valuable tools because you cannot replace true human connection. Um, I mean, there are so many great things about social media. There are so many great things about email. Um, obviously, they are very advantageous to our job, um, but they are supplemental to actual human connection. And if we try to make them replace the true human connection, we're going to miss out on a lot of what whatever organization we're representing, those opportunities that we could take if we were face-to-face -face more. Excellent. That's great advice. It's I love that. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it, it can be very hard, but um, it, it's kind of like I'll spend six hours at an event for that 15 second 
soundbite that I, that was going to make or break, you know, my, my job that day or my newsletter that day or my social media posts that day. Um, you just, you just never know. And so while it seems invaluable because it takes so much more time than sending an email or doing a social media post, it really adds so much more value to your content. Yeah. Cool. Good. All right. So to wrap things up, I'm going to do a, a lightning round, quick fire round. I got uh, this idea from another podcast. So it's a quick question with a quick one to five word answer. Oh, crap. Okay. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is your pet peeve in writing? Um, filler adverbs. I like it. What is your pet peeve in general? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a cut through the fat type of person. I don't know how to say this in two to three words. Um, People saying a lot of stuff, but not actually saying anything. Okay, good, good. (laughs) (laughs) What is the uh, best thing that you've been streaming lately? Oh, okay. Well, this is so, well, Bridgerton. I just binge watched. (laughs) So good. Yeah. First two seasons. So good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Okay. Um, what is your favorite social media site for work? Oh man. Um, Facebook's so much easier than everything else. I'd say that. Okay. What is something that you wish somebody would have told 21 year old Kara? Oh man. Um, that your time will come quit trying to rush it. I think that's the perfect place to stop. Yes, your time will come. Don't try to rush it. Our thanks so much to Kara Bishop of Plains Cotton Growers for joining us on the podcast today. So You Talk to Cows is produced by me, Erica Erlbeck, with production support from the Department of Agricultural Education and Communications at Texas Tech University. Follow me on Instagram at Erica underscore Erlbeck. That's E-R-I-C-A underscore I-R-L B-E-C-K. For more information on careers in agricultural communications, find my department at depts.ttu.edu slash ag ed.